At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. Yeah, would you pray with me, Father God? Thank you. Thank you for the reminder that there are so many things that we cling to in this world that we think that we need to support us, to help us. But ultimately, what our soul needs, the only thing it needs, the only true healing that we can experience only comes through Jesus. So we thank you that he is our hope He is our righteousness, full of grace and mercy and truth, extending his word to us through both his life and word and deed, through the testimony of your scripture. So Father, I pray that we would make much of him today, make less of ourselves, give us eyes to see. Father, we don't wanna be blind. We don't wanna be distracted. Father, we want to have ears to hear all that you would have for each of us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, I'm going to read our text for today from 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, Just five verses this morning. This is what the word of God says to us as we continue in the life of Elijah picking up in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, that is the king of the northern tribes of Israel, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. And if you've been with us, you know how amazing that verse is. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now towards the, and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. He said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. He said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. And if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. And as you're turning there... Great to be with you this morning. My name is Stephen Zarelli, one of the pastors here. Pastor Chris is preaching for a church on the west side of the state, so he should be wrapped up by this point, but pray that uh, the word of God fell hard onto the people that uh, it was shared with through his ministry this morning. And I'm so thankful to be back, really, because I've been off for the last couple months 
uh, the church was so gracious and gave my family a little bit of time away uh, from ministry. And so we spent some time in some national parks out west and walked about 65 miles, climbed about 17,000 feet. And I learned that I really love Michigan. (laughs) This is a great place to live because when you're up in the mountains, it's kind of hard to breathe. The air is thin, and I'm not a chapstick guy, but when you're out west, you got to use a lot of chapstick. You just got to just kind of smother your lips all the time because it's just, it's just a different climate. And so we spent some time up in the mountains and had an amazing time there. Eventually, we went through some parks and uh, made our way down to Phoenix, and I don't want to live in Phoenix either. I don't really understand the whole retirement culture that moves to Phoenix. I think people move to Phoenix in retirement because everybody there just gets shriveled. Everybody, like the whole city. Because you just dry up, it's just so hot. It was, I think, 115 degrees when we were there. It was so warm. So coming back here where there's water and air that you can breathe, I'm just happy to be in Michigan and I'm happy to be back at Woodside Bible Church this morning. I hope that you guys are too. And I hope, it really is my hope and prayer, that you came to worship this morning with a heart full of expectation. Because God is not passive, he is not hibernating. I believe he wants to speak to you this morning. He wants to transform your life today. He wants to move in your life today. And so often when we come to church, we just might go through those motions, but I hope that there's anticipation in your spirit that as you lift up the praise of Jesus and hear from the word of God, that you know, you already know before it's even happened that when you leave this place, you will leave this place changed and empowered by his spirit. So we want to come with a spirit of anticipation, which is much of what we'll be talking about today. Now, as a family, we had some literal mountaintop moments over these last few months, and we also had some terrible disappointments along the way, too. There were great days, there were hard days, there was peace and some conflict, there was joy and sorrow, and I've got far too many stories to be able to share, but I've been reminded that God's God's ways are not mine. And my will does not always align with his. I actually took a 10-week break. My wife and I took each other's phones, put the whole screen time passwords on, and I have not been on social media for about two and a half months. And I lived like I'm alive. And if you do the same, you will be too. It's wonderful, actually. And I wanted to use some of that time just to journal and to write down some prayers, really process things with the Lord And as I did, some of the things that I wrote down, certainly some of those prayers were big and audacious. Some were small and insignificant. Some were answered in ways uh, that blew away my expectations and deepened my faith. Some were answered, but with the opposite outcome that I was praying for. Uh, Some were left totally unanswered. And God even gave answers to some questions that I wasn't asking. And sometimes from our perspective, when you look over the landscape of all of your prayers and your life, it just might seem random and you might be left with the question, does prayer actually change anything? Do my prayers matter? Well, maybe you've noticed whenever a hard or painful or intimidating situation shows up, people, and by that I mean all people, human beings, we instinctively pray. 
It doesn't matter whether you have faith in Jesus or faith in some other name or faith in yourself or faith in nothing in particular. When human beings are desperate and they realize that there is no human solution that will do almost as naturally as breathing, we speak the words, God, help me. God, hear me. God, answer me. Now, I like all kinds of music. Um, I love worship music, of course, but forgive me, I've been a country fan since I was 14 years old. And maybe it's just part of, you know, growing up a little bit further south than here. But maybe you've heard of Jason DeFord. His mom uh, used to call him Jelly Roll. And she called him Jelly Roll because he was a chubby kid. Uh, but the name stuck. And he released a song last year called Need a Favor. And it was the first song to ever go number one in both mainstream rock and mainstream country. And I think the honesty of the song captures the spiritual temperature and feeling of so many people, both within the church and within our culture today. Uh, I changed a little bit of the lyric and the chorus just to use a euphemism, make it a little bit you know, more kid-friendly. But nonetheless, the Course says this, I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the heck am I, who the heck am I to expect a savior if I only talk to God when I need a favor? But God, I need a favor. God, I think you're real. And I don't talk to you much. I don't listen to you much, I, I'm not sinking you much, and I'm not always sure what Jesus has to do with you, and I'm not sure I deserve to be saved, and I'm not sure you're gonna listen to me, but will you help me? And listen to the bridge, he says, hanging in there just barely, throwing up prayers like Hail Marys. If you're still there, Lord, spare me. Oh my God, oh my God, Hail Mary. The belief is basically, I ran out of options, so I'll just throw up this Hail Mary, I'll throw up this prayer, and I'm hoping, kind of with a little bit of faith, that, that God will catch the pass. But I'm not sure I'm expecting much. It's, it's a Hail Mary. Do our prayers matter? I think many in our culture and in our church wonder about that question. Maybe before you cast the question aside and say, well, we're in church and maybe you're a part of Woodside and you've been under the teaching of this ministry for a lot of years. You're like, of course they matter. Of course this is something that ought to be a natural rhythm within our faith in Jesus. Before you say that, let me ask you another question. Have you been praying this summer like your prayers matter? Do you pray with anticipation? Do you pray with a faith that trusts there is actual power in your petition? Do you pray with the confidence that God hears and God will respond in his way and in his time? I wonder, what kind of praying church are we? In the New Testament book of James, chapter five, James is instructing the church about prayer and he uses Elijah's example from 1 Kings 18, the text we just read. He uses it to make his point. He says in James chapter five, verse 16, it'll be up here on the screens, the prayer of a righteous man, he's a righteous person, he's referring to Elijah, but he's ultimately referring to all people who follow the ways of Jesus. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the bold claim of Christianity and the biblical witness, that the prayer of a person living right with God is powerful, it is effective, it is something to be reckoned with. So James is saying when your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength are aligned with God's, then watch out, he will move through your prayer. That is what he's saying. Now, it's not that Elijah was simply exercising prayer and God responded. It's, it's more than that. It's that he was aligned with the word of God and exercised faith in the word of God as he prayed and God responded. I don't think you want to wonder, I certainly don't, whether God is listening to you when you pray. I don't think you want to question whether your prayers make any difference at all. God desires for you to pray with anticipation and then experience the realization of his power. Anticipation, then realization. It's the pattern that we find in Elijah's life and certainly within the biblical witness. Now, if you believe the testimony of scripture and faith, you might be thinking, this is Elijah. He was a prophet of old. He's He's one of the famous ones. He's chosen by God to be God's messenger to God's people, and his life was full of the miraculous. His prayer brought about a 42-month drought. That seems pretty impressive. Birds, you think about that, it's part of the logo for this whole series. Birds brought him his dinner. When's the last time you've been fed by ravens? God refilled his jar of flour and his jug of oil without him ever going to the store. His prayer raised a boy back to life. His prayer brought fire down from heaven on the altar with the prophets that we heard about last week. The man never died. In fact, he was taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. And so it's easy to think, I'm not like him. But turn to your neighbor this morning and say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. How do we know this? What does James say? James chapter five, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Our tendency to embrace Christian celebrityism isn't just extended to preachers on our podcast today that we think have some kind of divine resource that God never gave to us. That same attitude extends to the men and women of scripture too. It's so tempting to say, that's what God has for them. He has something different for me. It's like you're you're lowering the bar of what God wants to do. In other words, I I know God's plans for me are not going to be all that interesting. He he wants me to live a mundane faith, a, a passive faith that doesn't make too much noise for the kingdom. That's his choice not mine. It's like, you know what? I I don't really want him to do too much in my life because I'm not sure what that'll cost. So I'm just going to keep the bar real low. It it says who? Says you? Well, excuse me, but who are you to tell God the limits of your life's potential and capacity for his kingdom and his glory? 
Who are we to say, you know what, I just don't think I have it. The plans I have for myself might not add up to the plans that God has for me. And it's the same for you too. Perhaps God has something in store for you that you just currently don't have the faith to believe. But nonetheless, he wants to fill you with his spirit so that you will step into in obedience the path that he has for you for the sake of his kingdom. We are so easily tempted in this culture because it's easy to say that's in his life, that's in her life. He doesn't want to do something powerful through me. Yes, he does. You have a nature just like the prophets of old, it says. So how do we become people whose prayers are powerful and effective? First, we must pray in alignment with God's word. We must pray in alignment with God's word. Let me re- rem- remind us all of the context here, 1 Kings chapter 18. So the prophets of Baal was the name of the idol, had just been defeated, 450 of them. And the real issue was competing systems of religion. In Elijah's day, it was Baalism versus Yahwism. Uh, taken from the name Yahweh, the name given to the Lord in the Old Testament, the faith associated with Yahweh. So Baal was the Canaanite god of fertility. I'm sure you've heard this throughout the series. He was the giver of new life. And for the world to experience new life, it needed rain. And so Baal was also worshipped as the rainmaker. Now when we think of a rainmaker, what do we think of? Somebody who makes it rain. Like money. A moneymaker. Like if you're a rainmaker, you're a moneymaker. Well, honestly, that's not that far away from the scripture here because if you actually think about it, think about what drove the ancient economies of the world. It was the soil, the land. They were agrarian societies. So if you had rain, then you had crops. If you had crops, then you had wealth and prosperity. And so this was their livelihoods. And now Baalism was this idea. It was a religious system that taught that you could secure prosperity for yourself by the manipulation and control of the gifts of the creator. In other words, you could control Baal by worshiping Baal. So in your own strength, you could appease him. And as you appeased him, then you can control where the weather fell or where where the rain fell and where it didn't. When it came and when it didn't. And so this whole perspective, it was really a self-righteous, self-centered, anti-neighbor perspective of the world. And so what it was basically saying was, we're going to manipulate the God Baal so that our nation, our community will thrive while our enemies go through drought and rot. Anti-neighbor, self-centered, self-righteous, focused on money. So the big contest of Baal versus Yahweh was really a contest of worldviews. It was this idea, are we, as we control Baal, sovereign, or is God sovereign? Uh, Is God someone who can be manipulated to fulfill our self-centered impulses? Or is God the loving creator who is deserving of our worship because he cares for his creation? Do we bring life for our glory and good based on our own effort? Or is life given by God and sustained by God for his glory and good? Say what you will, friends, but Baalism is alive and thriving in 2023 America. It's evolved. It comes by new names and new descriptions, new concepts. But my friends, don't be blind 
nationalistic, self-centered, anti-neighbor individualism that dismisses God's agenda and puts our own agenda on the throne is the foundation of how our broader culture thinks. So the scripture, this is not some ancient old relic that has no relevance to what we're experiencing. It's the same. And just like ancient Israel, we have a choice to make. Elijah's message was basically, you can't have it both ways. Now for the Israelites to choose against Yahweh, well, that seemed impossible. Like they would never deny the God of the Bible. It might sound impossible for you too, but... To choose the God of the Bible singularly, to say there is no other, no other way, no other truth, no other life, that to many seems too radical, too costly. And so what did they do? What do many do today? Limp along on two opinions. That's the word that's used in verse 21 of chapter 18, limping along on two opinions. Limping, it meant to participate in a cultic dance and celebration of Baal, all while professing Yahweh as your God. How is it not different than today? So many within the church, so many within our culture profess God, the God of the Bible, I believe in you, you're the one I worship. And at the same time, they're walking out this cultural dance and adopting the things of our society. And Elijah warns them, and he warns them by bringing them to a place of repentance through a drought, saying that way of life leads to death. Three some years later, God shows a sovereignty over all of creation. He brings fire down. This is what we saw last week from heaven to consume the altar and to defeat the false prophets in Israel. And now that the people had finally realized that their way was wrong, God will demonstrate his authority and power by bringing the very thing they had been chasing. They were trying to manipulate it, control it, do it in their own strength. And he says, no, no, that's not where life is found. Now I will bring the rain, new life. And Elijah is in the middle of all this drama, just like you and I are today. And Elijah, notice, is confident that God is going to give the rain. So he tells King Ahab, notice the order of things. Rain has not come yet. There's no even hint that rain is coming. And he says to King Ahab, get up, go up, eat and drink. In other words, have a party, celebrate. For there is a sound of the rushing of rain. Now, how can he be so confident since it hasn't rained in 42 months? Because God promised it would happen. Look back at verse one. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. So the nation had been in drought and before Elijah ever saw a cloud in the sky, before the wind picked up, before the temperature changed, he was already telling Ahab to celebrate. I haven't seen it, I haven't realized the promise, but I'm anticipating the promise, so I'll believe the promise and act in obedience to the promise even before it comes. What is faith, friends? What is real faith? Hebrews 11, verse one, now faith, many of us have memorized this verse, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old, people like Elijah, received their commendation. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So Elijah hadn't seen anything, but he heard something. He heard the word of God, and that's all he needed. He perceived it, he believed it, he anticipated what God was going to do before God did it. Why? Because God said it. My prayer is just, God, give us more faith to believe the promises of your word before we see the evidence. I love how Francis Chan said it in his book, Crazy Love. True faith means holding nothing back. It means putting every hope in God's fidelity to his promises. And so even though Elijah wasn't fully, uh, even though he was fully confident, fully assured that God was going to deliver on the promise that he had said, what does he choose to do? He'd heard the word of the Lord. He's telling King Ahab to celebrate it as though it's already happened. He's sure that God's gonna bring it about and yet he still goes back to the top of Mount Carmel, back to that place where God had just demonstrated his power and he prays. He prays in faith and in alignment with God's word. He holds nothing back. He bows himself down to the earth puts his head between his knees and he pleads for God to do the very thing that God said he would do. What does this sound like in our lives? What does this type of prayer sound like in our lives? I was thinking about that in the last several days and wrote down a few examples that came to my heart that I've prayed myself, that I've prayed with others, for others, and maybe these will help you think about what this might mean in your life, but maybe this type of prayer sounds like this. Maybe it sounds like, God, Father, you said you would leave the 99 to go rescue the one, Matthew 18. My son is wandering away from you. My daughter is wandering away from you, but you promise not to lose a single one of your own. You tell me that nothing can snatch your sheep out of your hand, so would you bring them back? You love them more than I ever could. You know them more than I ever will. So speak their name and bring them back to you. Or Father, you promise that all things work together for the good of those who you love, those who have been called according to your purpose, Romans chapter eight. I don't see the purpose in this struggle. I don't know why I'm in this tragedy. I don't know why I'm experiencing this suffering, but I know that you will work it out. You called me, you have justified me, you will glorify me by bringing me through this. So I ask you to do it soon. Bring me out of the drought, bring the rain. Or maybe for you it sounds like this, God, you know what I need and you promised to give it, Matthew 6. So help me give freely. Help me not to be so anxious about what I don't have. Free me from the lie that I won't have enough if I start giving to your kingdom instead of building up my own kingdom. You provide all I need and all I have is yours. Maybe you need to pray for peace. Maybe that's what's been lacking in your life, peace. It's promised to you in Christ, John 14. Maybe you need to pray for joy. And you've been lacking joy. It's promised to you in Christ, John 15. Maybe you need to pray for rest in your soul and you're exhausted. That's promised to you in Christ, Matthew 11. Maybe you need to pray for God's forgiveness. You can be free from ever feeling 
condemned by God. That freedom is promised to you through faith in Jesus, John chapter 3. Pray in alignment with God's agenda and his word, which means getting to know God's agenda and his word and his promises. And when you do, see what God does. It could be salvation. It could be healing. It could be the strength in the midst of ongoing suffering. But you can be sure to experience his response and his grace. So how do we become people whose prayers are powerful and effective? We pray in alignment with his word. Second, we're persistent. Look at verse 43. We're persistent. And he said to his servant, go up now. Look towards the sea, that is towards the sea uh, being the Mediterranean. And so he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. At the seventh time, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand. So off in the distance, a man's hand, that's pretty small, is rising from the sea. So Elijah has heard from God, but he hasn't seen the result. He's anticipating what God will do, but it has not yet been realized. So he says to his servant, go up, climb to the top again, and as I am here, prostrate on the ground, head between my knees, praying and pleading that God will do what he said he would do, go and see what you see. And so he goes to the top and he comes back and he says, nothing. Elijah says, we'll go again. Nothing. Well, why don't you get a drink? You got another climb to make, go again. He goes again. Nothing. Why don't you get a sandwich? Probably getting hungry. But once you're done with that, go again. Nothing. I, I know you've been up there four times, but, but climb again. Nothing. I, I know you've been up there those five times, but climb again. Nothing. Yeah. You know, I, I want you to go again. Just, just climb to the top again. A little something. Persistence persistence. St. Augustine said, faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. And I'm curious, as I was processing this week, what prayers have you given up on? What prayers have you given up on? You were faithful for a minute, but that anticipation, that excitement, all that zeal, that turned eventually into apathy. And Jesus knew this would happen to his disciples. And so he, he actually gave them a parable to help them. It's found in Luke 18. I'm just going to introduce it. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And the point of the parable is that Jesus reminds us that God is not some disconnected, ungodly judge. He is a benevolent father. And anybody here who's a father or a mother for that matter do your children have a habit of asking you for something over and over again, like ever? Does that ever happen in your house? It's like that little voice comes, you hear the little pitter patter of feet and they come over, they just ask you. You give an answer or whatever, they come back and ask you again, ask you again, ask you again, ask you again. And you think as a parent, like, I think they're gonna grow out of this. Like, that's the trick of parenting. You always think things will change and... Sometimes they, they do, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, but it's all a part of our sanctification, that's for sure. So you think, 
hey, these kids, when they're toddlers, yeah, they'll be that way, but it'll go away by the time they're out of elementary school. Does it? Does it? Middle school, does it get better? No. High school, I've learned no. In fact, it gets way more intense. And then I realized it wasn't just my kids, I'm the exact same way. I do the same thing. Well, why is that? Of course, we're the same way because we're saying, Lord, yes, I'm bringing this to you over and over. I realize this is a need. This is what's on my heart. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your care. I need what only you can give. Persistence. The way we pray ends up demonstrating what we really think about God. And if you view God as a benevolent father, as a father, as Abba, then you won't give up. Thirdly, how do we become people whose prayers are powerful and effective? We plan to respond to God's grace. Look at verse 44 as we close out this story. And so he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is an odd turn of events. Elijah, if you look at a map, and according to most scholars, runs 17 miles to beat Ahab to Jezreel. We'll talk about what was going on there and the symbolism of that in a moment. But 17 miles, I ran a half marathon, 13 miles, 13.2 miles one time. I'll, I'll never do it again. Like crazy people, all you marathon people, they do, they do crazy stuff. But 17 miles, 17 miles while he's holding his clothes, like his garment, it just sounds terrible. But he runs 17 miles ahead of Ahab to beat him to this place called Jezreel. What's going on here? Well, first, we must realize Jezreel, the name of the city, the name of that place, it means may God make fruitful. What is God doing? He's saying after three and a half years of death, I'm bringing my people out of a drought into a new season of life. It was a physical reality that was also a spiritual reality. So we're going to Jezreel. There's been nothing but death. Now there will be fruitfulness and multiplication and a new season of life. And what's this about uh, Elijah running in front of the king? The point was that God's word was now out in front of God's king. So the idea was that God's word was leading the king. If you know the story of Ahab, he doesn't really follow. He's mostly opposed to God's word. But this was that brief moment in the midst of the story where God's saying, I'm doing something new. Now you've turned and now you're following my way. You're following my word. You're out in front of me. I'm going to follow where you lead. I'm going to follow you to Jezreel where you're going to make this nation fruitful. So as Elijah sees finally 
As he does this race, as he lands in Jezreel, as the rains come down, he sees what he had believed all along. His anticipation turns to realization. And that is how faith-filled prayer works. It's anticipation. Turn to your neighbor and say, anticipation. Say it like you believe it. Anticipation turns to realization. Say that, turns to realization. It's anticipation, then realization. And this is what the prayer of a righteous person does. It's powerful and effective. Now notice the beauty of this picture as we close this morning. The sacrifice of the bull on the altar represented the sins of the people, the sins of the nation, all that rebellion, all that idolatry. And there might've still been a sizzle on that altar when the rain started coming. And then God sends a torrential rain, basically saying, your sins have been washed away. It's a new beginning. And that might be just the most powerful part of the story. God fulfilled his promises. And his promise was not just to end a physical drought. It was not just to show the people of Israel his power and his sovereignty over idols of the world. It was to graciously wash away all their sin and invite them into a new season of life. And that is the invitation for you today. Have you responded to that gracious invitation? Jesus is the greater Elijah. He prayed in faith. He anticipated the promises of God and he saw the promises of God realized. And because of his powerful and his effective prayers, he had the courage to become God's sacrifice for the sins of the world on the altar of the cross. And Hebrews 12 tells us that he did it all for the joy, it says, that was set before him. He had not yet experienced it, but he knew it was coming. The little cloud became the realization of resurrection. The little cloud became the realization of sitting at the right hand of the Father. The little cloud became the realization of eternal life for every human being that would believe in him. And God's grace is that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. So we receive his grace. We respond to his grace. Have you done that? I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a few moments. And if you had not, if the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart to no longer be of two opinions limping along, pray that you'll receive that. But if you have, and if you are in Christ, what I'd like to ask you to do today is, would you have the courage, even as we close in worship, to turn your attention, your gaze, your mind, your heart towards God and just plead with him as, as, as we sing, maybe as they sing in front of you, you're just praying and you lift up a big, audacious, God-honoring, Christ-centered prayer. Maybe one that you've just neglected for a while because you've just realized, hey, you know, I just don't know if I believe. I've got too much doubt. I don't think he hears. I don't know if he's going to respond. I, I, I don't want to set myself up for failure. But if you know in your heart this is consistent with your word, Father, this is consistent with your promises. My motivations are to be aligned with your agenda. God, would you hear me in the midst of this drought? Would you hear me and would you send rain? Would you answer? 
plead with him. What are we meant to do as a community? We pray for God's will to be done. So I, I just challenge you, pray and see what he will do. Pray in faith, anticipate what he'll do even before you see the evidence and just ask, have the courage to ask. And so Father God, we come before you even now. And Father, I first pray for any here today watching online and they understand, they realize that they have been limping along with two opinions, holding on to you maybe with one hand and holding on to the opinions and the ways of self-righteousness in the other. That in these moments, they would truly, by your spirit, be broken and realize that is the way of drought and death. Give them the courage to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. I receive you as Lord and Savior. I want to spend my eternity with you. And Father, for every person in this room who has made a declaration of faith at some point in their lives or even now, give us the courage as a church to pray big, audacious prayers to you that are consistent with your word where we anticipate. And would you bring it about? Would you bring it to realization? Would you bring healing? Would you bring grace through the midst of struggle? Would you bring reconciliation and redemption and mercy upon your people? Would you empower your people for all that you would have us do? Would you restore relationships that are broken? Would you do the miraculous in our lives? Would you use us in prophetic ways for the sake of your name and your kingdom? our prayers. There's nothing that you cannot do in Jesus' name. There is nothing you cannot do in Jesus' name. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond and let's pray together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.